You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carl Stebbings and Matt Smith. Well, hello and welcome to episode number 165 of the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and not joining me in the kitchen studio this week is my co-host Matt Smith. Matt is unfortunately, uh, he's on sick leave today. Yeah, bless him. He's not very well. He's uh, been he's been well, he's been a bit under the weather now for a little while, and uh, he was feeling a bit uh, poorly while we we're in pits. But uh, he's so he's not with me in the kitchen studio tonight. But uh, I'm here, and hopefully things are going to go okay with uh, the tower. It uh, it misbehaves earlier, but well, actually not the tower. My Skype laptop misbehaved earlier, but hopefully we'll be okay. Uh, but uh, luckily, I have uh, a couple of uh, partners in crime to help me on the show this evening. So uh, we are going to give, uh, firstly, we're going to give a big uh, warm welcome to uh, the legend that is Neville Bounds. Hi, Carlos. How are you doing? Thank you very much indeed for inviting me on. And, uh, well, shame that Matt's not well, but uh, very pleased to be invited back. And, uh, yeah, thanks ever so much. And uh, hope you're... Uh, jet lag is not not too laggy <laughs> <laughs> no i didn't suffer from any jet lag uh nev it was uh, the fabulous uh boeing 787 dreamliner so i didn't have any jet lag at all how was your flight by the way nev with uh, with very, BA? Very, very nice i had a uh unusually for me i had three hours sleep on the plane on the way <gasps> back which is i've never slept on a plane ever in my life before and uh i actually woke up quite refreshed i have to say but um I did catch up with me in the following day because I had to do an ex- a couple of days' worth of exhibition. But, uh, um, no, it was all right. And I, I'm just about back to normal now, I'm pleased to say. Oh, that's good. good. Good news to hear. We all had a fantastic time, obviously, at the Wings Over Pittsburgh air show. And uh, we all th- absolutely thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. But we have also got another guest on the show this week. And uh, it's someone who we met at the Wings of a Pittsburgh Air Show. And, uh, and we, yeah, we made very good friends, all, all of us straight away, with uh, this chap here. So I shall introduce, got a huge introduction for him here. It's going to take me an hour to read through all the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything that he's done so our guest on the show tonight is a first officer with a u.s regional airline he was born and raised in baltimore maryland started flight training at 12 years old blimey attended liberty university in lynchburg virginia he's also a cfi uh, he's got a bachelor's in science and aeronautics he's also flown the cessna 208b caravan for a part 135 airline and currently flies an Embraer 170 and 175. And he's also got 140 hours of flight time. So welcome on to the show, First Officer Craig. Hey, everybody. Thanks, Carlos, for having me. Hello, Nev. Good to see you again. Uh, sorry, Matt, couldn't make it. I hope he uh, gets well soon. Um, I did not start uh, my flight training at the age 12. Uh, that's when I caught the aviation bug. Oh, right. I would hope <laughs> that the uh, airline's wouldn't have hired me if I had 140 hours. I think I have a little more than that. Uh, I think uh, in that intro I sent you, it was 140 in the Embraer 170 so uh, far. Okay, yeah, that's my fault. That's my fault. Uh, that's all good. <laughs> so how many hours you got in the old logbooks now then, Craig? Uh, Roughly, I think top I of your head. Broke, I'm just over 1,200 as of last week. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And that's, is that just in the uh, Embraer, or is that sort of total time? Uh, that's total time. Yeah, wow. 
Brilliant. So we're going to have a chat with uh, with you later on, Craig, on the show about uh, oh. your career and uh, everything that you've done to uh, to do with flying. So did you uh, did you enjoy yourself at Pittsburgh again, Craig? Oh, it, it was a blast uh, meeting the fine folks that are in the uh, aviation podcast community. You too, Matt, and uh, all the folks from APG and all the listeners. And my fiance was Ashley was able to go and. Uh, we had a blast, and uh, we hope to uh, get to meet you all again sometime in the future. What was your highlight, uh, Craig, for the for actually actual air show itself? Any particular aircraft that you uh, enjoyed? Apart from um, apart from the Embraer one seven was it one seven five that was on so display. Okay, take that one out. <laughs> um, I was a fan of the. Uh, some of you might have heard in the uh, latest um, Airplane Geeks podcast. Uh, had a little tip in there. I really enjoyed the MIG that was there at the air show um i kind of like the world war ii and right after world war ii era of aircraft and just seeing how small and nimble and sleek that is uh it was a lot of fun to see that fly around excellent so we have got uh, loads of news to get through on the show this week and uh, we've got a little bit of military news as well um so what else we've got we've got i haven't got a segment from pip this week uh pip uh is uh, he's a bit busy flying here, there, and everywhere this week. Uh, but like I said, we have got some news to get through. So if uh, if everyone's ready, uh, we're going to start the show each as we do each week with a rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So uh, if everyone's ready, yeah, we're ready. Let's go. I am ready as well. Okay. <laughs> So kicking off this week's first news story with a slight technical hitch there. Wonderful. That just goes to prove, doesn't it? We, we all need a mat here, don't we, really? <laughs> Hell yeah. The day. We definitely need a mat. Yeah. So this week's first news story then kicking off on the dailymail.co.uk website. And the headline, would you spend £3,000 on second-hand airport seats? The weird and wonderful aviation items available on eBay. So plane enthusiasts have created a lucrative online market for people wanting to acquire genuine airline items. The range of products include a trio of business class seats, passenger safety belts, a no smoking sign. Many uh, items regularly sell for hundreds of pounds with one terminal bench boasting a £3,328 price tag. Plane spotters or rather aviation enthusiasts have long been defined by their devoted runway presence. But as technology continues to shift uh, obsessions online, it seems that increasing numbers of them are indulging their interests without leaving the house. In fact, the unlikely marketplaces emerge via eBay, with collectors now trading carrier keepsakes for thousands of pounds in the lucrative wing of the movement. So without the need for safety instructions, here is a list of the, uh, the well, the most bizarre buys up for grabs. So... Um, and the first one on the list here is uh, is a is a is a bench. Uh, I'm going to put that one on the screen so you guys in the YouTube chat room can see. So we've got a bench here, a black airline uh, airport vent, uh, bench with a price tag of well, Craig, you'd know this one, four thousand three hundred eighteen dollars. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else have we got here? We've got uh, there's a there's a bigger picture there of the bench that looks um, very benchy. 
Uh, what else have we got? Uh, a first class leopard print stool from a Boeing 747. Now that's um, 1,800 pounds or 2,350 dollars. Uh, doesn't say what airline that one's out of. Um, but what else have we got? So we have got um, oh, double business class seats from a A330. You can, oh, these don't look too bad actually. Two of those seats there were, it's going to set you back 490 quid or, um, it says here somewhere and tear on these. They look actually don't look too bad actually. There we go, some pictures there for those of you watching in the YouTube room. You can see, uh, they actually don't look too bad, Nev. I'd, I'd, I'd quite happily have those. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I'd, I'd be pretty happy with that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've got uh, a service trolley. Uh, next on the list is uh, 235 quid will get you uh, one of the uh, flight attendant service trolleys uh, with <laughs> with all the drawers inside. Quite interesting. It's actually, there's a picture here. It'll con it shows you what you can make out of... Um, well, it shows you what you can cover the actual drawers with, which is um, rather interesting. Uh, what else have we got here? We've got uh, the lap belts. Um, these make awesome belts, as in belts for your trousers because I know because I have one of these £6.99 £6 actually for one of these lap belts which I don't think is too bad uh, we've got uh, Frontier Airlines reserved seat signs you can get one of those for just under eight quid if you want one of those um, looks quite interesting there yeah, quite no way you want one of those we've got uh, a collectible airline TV LCD display monitors uh, Nev, these look rather um, ancient. Yeah, I was going to say they're probably not very up to date, are they? And uh, uh, I think you could probably buy one at your local electronic <laughs> store uh, for a lot less money, possibly. But yes, they um, um, th those were the original ones, weren't they? Put in put in the older aircraft, so uh, yeah, they're getting on a bit. So we've got uh, number eight. We've got a Qatar Airways or Qatar Airways cabin crew badge uh, at eighteen pounds with the name Samuel or Samuel on the badge there so handy if your name is Samuel obviously not uh, if your name is um, Bob or something along <laughs> those lines <laughs> so uh, number nine we've got a uh, Boeing 747 first class telephone um, quite well it, actually this you could probably get to work I'd imagine you'd probably have to make this one work but for $95 mm. or £73 you can get yourself one of these uh, first class telephones <laughs> Uh, number 10 then, ah, this is more like it, here we go, look, a vintage 727 or 707 airline passenger seat ashtray. Ah, there we go, look, I mean, that, that looks unused. $20 for that, just under $20 for that one. Mind you, it does say here though, Nev, that's, uh, that's charging you 36, I think it was 36 pounds to ship that from the US yeah. to the UK. <laughs> so the shipping's quite, quite, uh, yeah, oh dear, quite a lot yeah. for that. So there we go, a list of uh, weird and wonderful things you can find on eBay. I I tried to find some bits and pieces on eBay for myself about for a certain aircraft. I shan't mention the name because those of you in the chat will know which aircraft I tried to find some bits for. And there's hardly none on there at all. So if anyone's got any Lockheed TriStar pieces at all laying around, please get in contact with me. Mm. So moving on to the next story then, Nev, uh, this one is all for you. Thanks. And uh, in Matt's absence, of course, I've been given the, the Ryanair story. And uh, <laughs> this is from the uh, mirror.co.uk website. It says, drunken British stags kicked off Ryanair flight to Mallorca after group brawled on seats and stripped down two boxers. 
Uh, three men were arrested when the flight from Manchester to Palmer touched down, leaving fellow passengers cheering at their departure. A rowdy stag do got off to a nightmare start as three men were kicked off a Ryanair plane by Spanish police after allegedly fighting on board the aircraft. The early flight from Manchester Airport to Palmer saw a group of about 15 apparently drinking, fighting and swearing before they even took off at 6.20 a.m., 6.20 a.m., ladies and gentlemen. A fellow passenger claimed some brawling across seats, swearing at each other and being abusive with one man stripping down to a tiny pair of boxer shorts. I don't remember seeing Captain L on that flight, but anyway. Um, <laughs> another apparently punched a hole in the overhead panel. The passenger, who asked not to be named, told the Manchester Evening News it was a nightmare from start to finish. It was stressful. I'm a nervous flyer and there were kids on board. The flight was delayed by about 20 minutes and they wouldn't sit down before takeoff. As the flight went on, it was just a nightmare. They were messing about, fighting and drinking their own alcohol. They were swearing at each other and fighting and slapping each other. There were bottles, uh, drinking bottles of their own wine and Jaeger. Uh, people were complaining Indeed. there were kids on the plane. Uh, I will be complaining there were kids on the plane, but I think uh, I, they meant something else there. When they all started fighting in the middle, I ended up having to move to the front, uh, this passenger said. And um, there's various pictures here, and it says uh, nobody could get a drink, staff couldn't get a trolley through. What can you do if they are being that aggressive? And cabin crew called police at Palmer ahead of the landing to ask for assistance, a Ryanair spokesman confirmed. They said that three men were then detained by officers. He added the crew of this flight from Manchester to Palmer on May the 18th called ahead to request police assistance after three passengers became disruptive in flight. Uh, the aircraft landed normally and local police removed and detained these customers upon arrival in Palmer. The safety and comfort of our customers, crew and aircraft is our number one priority and we will not tolerate unruly or disruptive behaviour at any time. This is now a matter for local police. <laughs> well, there you go. That's... Um, it doesn't that just I, I don't want to you know, <laughs> sound like a stuck record here, but just doesn't that sum it all up really for you? People drinking on the plane and uh, drinking in the terminal, presumably well before the time of departure. And then this happens. Well, one of those one of those new rules, I think, that they're going to try and bring in when this new Brexit all thing all starts and kicks off is uh, they're going to um, then they're going to be heftier penalties for drinking your own alcohol on board aircrafts uh, mm. aircraft and that nev so yeah yeah, yeah this this hopefully that might stop is is this uh, i'm guessing um craig this is not an issue that you have uh, on board your uh, particular airline um no in my uh short time of being a commercial airline pilot here i've not had any issues uh like that and uh, I'm not sure about over in the UK or elsewhere, but in the US, I know um, in airport terminals, if they serve alcohol, they have to stay within the immediate vicinity of that little shop or store that sold the alcohol and has to be drank before you can leave that area. You can't take it out with you onto the plane or anything. So what are the actual uh, rules in the U.S., uh, Craig, for, for the actual drinking stuff? on? But obviously, they serve alcohol on board aircraft, but are there any particular sort of sort of stricter rules in, in the U.S.? Um, as far as passengers getting on board, if they look intoxicated at all, um, blatantly obvious, uh, then they are not allowed to board. Um, but other than that, you 
if someone has a beer or two and doesn't show any symptoms of being drunk, then there's nothing from preventing us letting them on board unless they become an issue to the safety of flight or to uh, passenger comfort. I think you should know your limits. I think that's what people need to do. I mean, me and uh, <laughs> me and Adrian definitely knew our limits on the way over with Air Canada because we stuck to uh, stick to a, I stuck to a limited amount of Canadian club whiskey, which is quite nice. If you're watching Adrian, we uh, the, yeah, it was very nice, mixed with ice cream as well, which was um, something the crew <laughs> told us to do, which actually was very nice, very nice indeed. Yeah. So the next story, moving on, uh, Craig is uh, is all for you. All right, this is from the uh, Telegraph. The rule that forbids pilots from chatting below 10,000 feet and the uh, crash that created it. Uh, have you seen the images of some pilots taken from the cockpit? Remarkable, mind-blowing, fantastic cities spread out below their streets and railways, pumping like arteries or countryside green and lush, stretching for miles and miles, stopping only at the horizon. Uh, but all these have taken a, at least above 10,000 feet. In fact, pilots are barely allowed to talk to each other, other if the aircraft is below this altitude. And this is thanks to something called the sterile cockpit rule. Um, and on the web page, it explains the sterile cockpit rule, but I can just give a brief summary for what I understand as the sterile cockpit rule here in the U.S. is uh, anytime you're below 10,000 feet uh, and you're not at a in a cruising state, um, the flight crew has to be only chatting about things per, uh, pertinent to the flight, so there should not be any talks of where you're going for dinner later that night or <laughs> what you did this week, that this past weekend. Um, I haven't had uh, this experience, but a friend of mine told me that there are a lot of occasions where chatting does go on below 10,000 feet. And it, it's hard, uh, from what I understand, because uh, uh, you start a conversation as you're coming, uh, descending or climbing out. And um, but, yep, 10,000 feet, you should uh, just keep conversation. The uh, things that pertain to safety of flight, and that goes for the cabin crew in the back as well. They can't uh, call us, ask us if we want coffee or anything. They we have. Number 175, we have a sterile light that allows the cabin crew to know that we're below 10,000 feet and that they can only contact us uh, on a uh, safety of flight issue. So the long, what are the longest uh, legs you do, Craig, with the aircraft, you, know, the, you fly the 170, 175? I mean, are they got kind of over an hour long? Um, the longest flight I've done so far was about, I'd say three hours and three and a half hours or so so you need, you do need a bit of time at the cruise i suppose to kind of chat to uh, to the captain and and discuss where you are going that night for food <laughs> <laughs> yes uh during those times when we're uh, just cruising along there's uh chatting about each other's lives uh how we got in aviation uh previous experiences and then once you're tired of talking to that person uh usually uh company material you could read if you really wanted to uh i know there's a lot of crossword puzzles and uh some other stuff that comes out but <laughs> usually talking is how we pass the time so the next story moving on on the uh, nypost.com this one 
And uh, the headline, contrary to popular belief, airline satisfaction is at an all-time high. Hmm. So this flies in the face of everything. We know airline customer satisfaction is higher than ever, according to a new survey. Wow. Well, after the last month? Blimey. Despite all the passengers' horror stories dominating the headlines recently, it's impossible to think about an airline customer satisfaction without replaying the incident uh, well, the recent in images of a passenger being dragged from a seat. But our data shows that a whole, uh, as, whole, as a whole, the airline industry has been making uh, marked improvements in customer satisfaction across a variety of metrics from ticket costs to flight crew, says Michael Taylor, research firm uh, JD Power. The company says American Flyers' satisfaction this year reached 756 on its 1,000-point scale, up 30 points from last year, and its highest ever in the 13 years the company has been conducting its North American Airline Satisfaction Study. Sure, airlines are hitting passengers with strollers, making them peeing cups, and possibly killing giant bunnies. But they are also charging lower prices and losing fewer bags the company found. Alaska Airlines was rated as the best traditional carrier in the study, a title it has held for a decade now, with United and Air Canada the most hated. Oh, I don't believe that for one minute, mm. Air Canada. Uh, Southwest came out on top for budget airlines, while Frontier earned the lowest score in the cheap flight category. So there we go. Um, interesting, I think. Obviously, with the, the news stories that are coming out, seem to be coming out every week now about someone being hit thrown or you know chucked out of the door of an aircraft you know it is um surprising i suppose to see a story like this that says that the customer satisfaction is is good but again you know i, I didn't have any issues at all with air canada um never i'm guessing that uh, the staff were uh, looking after you incredibly well with uh, ba yeah, very much so. And um, I think that the, you know, what you've got to remember, of course, is, is since the advent of the smartphone, and we, we have said this loads of times, haven't we, that uh, there was there will always be incidents of some sort. But just imagine how many flights there are per day and how many passengers are carried per day and how relatively few things we get to hear about. So, I, you know, it's still a good experience, generally speaking, but there will always be a situation where uh, something happens to somebody, I'm sure. So for you, Craig, any uh, any particular airline that stands out customer service-wise that um, you've had the you know, opportunity to fly on? Um, I've most of my personal flying has been on Southwest, and as most people know, it's usually a good experience, and I've had that experience as well. Uh, contrary to recent events, um, this past January, I did fly on United from uh, Dulles in Washington DC over to Paris and back and I didn't have any issues uh, it was great service all around so it it seems to be that it's the silent majority not speaking up and the loud uh, few incidences that are causing all the issues uh, in my opinion so oh, there we go so United aren't all bad <laughs> so, <laughs> he says so, Nev, the next yes. story moving on is uh, all for you. Oh, look, it's a British Airways story. Oh, look at that. 
Um, well, of course, uh, they have uh, just um, introduced business class back to their domestic sectors. And it says that almost 70,000 passengers have opted to fly in British Airways' new business class on UK domestic routes in the first six weeks of its operation. Benefits include lounge access, more personal space, free food and drink, dedicated check-in, priority boarding and a baggage allowance of two cabin bags and two checked bags. The cabin features a two-by-two two configuration with the middle seat free. And the airline's domestic services around the UK and Ireland with Club Europe include flights from Heathrow to Aberdeen, Inverness, Leeds, Bradford, Manchester and Newcastle, uh, Heathrow and Gatwick to Belfast, Heathrow, Gatwick and London City to Edinburgh and Glasgow and London City to the Isle of Man. And uh, BA chairman and CEO Alex Cruz said that Club Europe is proving incredibly popular with our customers on domestic services. In just a month and a half, we've had nearly 70,000 take to the skies with us, and the feedback we're getting is great. Customers are telling us that they love the new consistency throughout and they uh, throughout their travels with us. Uh, they are getting the smooth, uh, easy experience they want, particularly for those transferring onto our European and long-haul networks. And they're also enjoying the additional benefits and the improved catering and service that we launched across all of our Club Europe services at the same time. Now, the reason for this story is because uh, what they had a situation was um, with rather is that people that were flying a business class from almost anywhere in the world to London and then connecting on a domestic flight uh, had to go in a, a, a domestic class it was a single class service so the fact they've now introduced that onto the um, uh, those sectors as well is, is a big improvement so I think a lot of people uh, will appreciate that certainly hmm. well did you uh, did you manage to fly business class over to uh, to Canada this time uh, Nev? Uh, I did and it cost me an awful lot of money. Don't, don't tell <laughs> Mrs. Nev how much it cost, for goodness sake. Three, uh, this is just three, between uh, us, okay? Uh, um, so, um, <laughs> yeah, I did. And it's a, it's a great, you know, you have to say it is a premium service. It is very expensive, um, but very enjoyable. And I think for me, um, who does suffer from jet lag quite a bit, um, that those lie flat beds were fantastic. Um, and then on the lounge, in the lounge, I've got a BA lounge in Toronto on the way back. Um, I bumped into uh, the athlete Dame Kelly Holmes, as you do, and uh, helped oh, really? her to, shout, to, to some <laughs> champagne, you know. Um, I'm sure, she, I'm sure oh. she's tweeting up that she bumped into me, you know. But, uh, <laughs> I'm sure she is. I have to say, for, uh, for me, obviously, um, the Air Canada very, very kindly put me in premium economy on the way out to Canada. Uh, which was fantastic, absolutely really good. The service was really good, the food was good, you know, the whole um, experience, apart from, and I have to say, it's probably the worst selection of IFE that I have seen um, on on a large uh, airline such, you know, such as Air Canada mm. or anyone. It, uh, for me, the the, uh, the choice of films and, and TV programs was, was bearing in mind, I was in the middle of the, the centre uh, seats in premium uh, on the way out, uh, luckily, I had Adrian Meech sitting next to me, so we had a, you know obviously a good old chat. But uh, compared to Emirates and Qatar and, and Etihad, the selection of IFE, you know, the programs and stuff was was not that great. I have to say, there was only a handful of films. Uh, the TV box sets they had on on offer were none that I'd heard of before, and also the audio selection, the albums and stuff. Um, I 
as probably most people know, do do a job as a DJ. So I kind of get to know most of the music that's in uh, in existence. And you know, I didn't recognise any album at all on the entire playlist of Air Canada's uh, of offerings. But I'm guessing you had a bit more of a selection with BA Nev. It was enormous, and I, I've never seen quite quite so much before. And uh, they they do a great job of that. And um, but yeah, it, there's lots of video on demand. There's games. There's also a rather I don't know if you've ever seen this before, Carlos. But there's a chat function, so you can chat <laughs> yeah. with other passengers on the on the aircraft that you obviously probably don't know. I didn't try that facility <laughs> because it, that's just a bit weird for me. They, um, they but anyway, that, I don't yeah. know whether you've heard it before. <laughs> no, they did have it on the uh, on Air Canada actually, Nev. Uh, you could go seat to seat to chat but um you know like i said adrian was sitting next to me so i i didn't have the need to to do that but yeah kind of creepy if you want to chat to someone who's um sitting 20 or 30 rows uh rows behind you you know i I like a bit of social media as you know but uh that's just one one step too far for my liking (laughs) so for you craig when you're when you're traveling transatlantic and stuff how important do you think is ife for you obviously looking out the window at the view is uh one of the best full HD views you can get, but um, is IFE important for you? Um, I've only had the uh, one uh, long haul experience this past January, and uh, I'd say it, it was. Um, it was nice to have a selection of movies to watch, um, but with today's day and age, every, just about everyone has iPad or smartphone or the like. Um, and it's very easy if you have Netflix or something like that to uh, download movies or TV shows onto that and watch it as you go. So um, if they have a if the IFVs have a large selection, that uh, yeah, that'd be nice to have a variety. But if people don't get what they want on there, I'm sure they'll just use their personal devices to watch what they would like. Mm. Yeah, definitely. People more and more these days, I think, are taking iPads and uh, tablets of, of some description on board aircraft with them. I know I do, but um, that's mostly to play games on. But moving on to the next story, uh, which is for you, Craig. Yes. All right. Um, from MarketWatch.com, Singapore Airlines to phase out four Airbus A380s. Singapore Airlines will surrender the lease on four of its oldest Airbus a 380 Super Jumbo Jets, confirming that the first airline to operate the biggest passenger jets doesn't want to keep the earliest delivered planes of the model in its fleet. Singapore Airlines, however, will take delivery of three A380s jets by March 2018 as it seeks to operate a young fleet of planes that requires less maintenance. The flag carrier also said it will take delivery of 10 Airbus A350 planes during its current fiscal year that runs through March 2018. The decision to phase out the oldest A380 jets was expected. The planes are on lease and will be 10 years old by the time they leave Singapore Airlines fleet. The jets will test the second-hand market for, for the plane, which can seat 540 passengers in a typical cabin layout and over 700 passengers in the all-economy configuration. Airlines have struggled to find dense enough routes to fly the A380s, though the double-deck jets are extremely extremely popular passengers. Malaysia Airlines, another A380 operator, has decided to reconfigure its planes into all-economy class and place them in in a new airline that would seek to tap Muslim religious tourism markets. 
Singapore Airlines also said it will spend 29.3 billion Singapore dollars, which equates to about 21 billion U.S. dollars, to buy new planes over the next five years. That includes uh, 5.3 billion in Singapore dollars in the current fiscal year that started April 1st. It'll be interesting to see, you know, uh, who who takes these um, old uh, A380s that uh, that Singapore are getting rid of because. I don't think there there is. I don't think there's a uh, a Airbus A380 secondhand market at the moment, um, Craig. I, don't, I haven't heard of any A380s being sold in the secondhand market. Uh, neither have I. Uh, it's I, in my opinion, I still think it's a fairly new aircraft compared to uh, some of the planes we saw. As Micah just mentioned, in the chat room, the B52 is 60 years old, and they're still flying that. So. <laughs> yeah. um, it's surprising to see that a plane just 10 years old they're uh, already trying to get rid of. What do you reckon, uh, Nev? Do you th- who do you think uh, would, would be uh, snapping up these second-hand A380s off Singapore? Because I reckon they're going to be probably a very well-maintained um, um, Certainly, aircraft. Certainly, yeah. yes. Um, Singapore uh, and their maintenance are, are legendary, I think, aren't they? I, mm. I would say that the Asian market is, is very important for, for this kind of aircraft, but uh, I'm just, as I may have said a few weeks ago, I'm just wondering whether this aircraft, as good as it is, and I'd love to go on one, I've not been on one yet, I just wonder whether it's just come a little bit too late, and if it had come a few years earlier, maybe, uh, people might find that it might be more, more useful. But I think... Um, the running costs of it are probably quite high. Although, of course, per passenger, if you have a full load, that you know the, the um, what is it uh, gallons per mile per passenger or something like that, um, it, you know, is is very good value. Um, but I, I would imagine that I, I would expect maybe some of the Chinese market perhaps uh, might pick some of these up because they need the uh, the high density. Yeah, because obviously we all know that Emirates have got the largest fleet of the Airbus A380s in the world, and um, you know it'll there'll come a time soon, I'd imagine, when Emirates will also start to phase out some of their older A380s. Because I think I'm uh, right in thinking that Nev that Airbus decided not to re-engine the the A380 in the end. Hello. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So you, you you dropped out a bit there. Can you still hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can still hear you fine. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah you, you dropped out slightly. Uh, nope, but uh, no, I think it's it's one of these aircraft which is it, it, it's designed for a very specific market and very specific roles. So um, um, you've got to use them on the right routes. I would say with with the right passenger loads. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So next story, moving on, is on the uh, NY Post again, uh, New York Post, and the headline, and this one propped up this week, actually on the 18th, which was, that was yesterday, um, and I'm sure we had a story like this not well, a year ago, I think it was, but anyway, the story uh, is uh, headline, Dutch King has been a guest pilot on commercial airliner for 21 years. Now, Nev, I'm sure we had a story about this a while I, back. I, I, yeah, it does sound familiar, doesn't it? Yes, certainly. So the story goes on, The Hague, Netherlands. So some Dutch passengers on uh, KLM flights might have recognised the co-pilot's voice when he introduced himself on the airline's city hopper services. It was not just their co-pilot telling them the weather conditions and estimate, uh, estimated time of arrival, it was their king. 
King Willem Alexander told national newspaper De Telegraph an interview uh, published on Wednesday that he has ended his role as a regular guest pilot after 21 years on KLM's fleet of Fokker 70 planes. And before that, uh, uh, on du- oh, before that, on Dutch carrier Martinair, he will now retain or retrain, sorry, to fly uh, Boeing 737s as the Fokkers are being uh, phased out of service. While it is no secret that Willem Alexander is in the qualified pilot who sometimes flew KLM passenger flights, it was not clear how frequently it happened. Uh, Did Telegraph said uh, he does it twice a month as a guest flyer, and but the king is always the co-pilot. The 50-year-old father of three, uh, uh, a monarch to 17 million Dutch citizens, calls flying a hobby that lets him leave his royal duties on the ground and fully focus on something else. He says, you have an aircraft, passengers and crew, you have responsibilities for them, the king said to the uh, Telegraph. Uh, you can't take your uh, your problems from the ground into the skies. You can completely disengage and concentrate on something else. Uh, that, for me, is the most relaxing part of flying. Willem Alexander said he's rarely recognized by passengers, especially since security was tightened up on board aircraft in the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks. Before September the 11th, the cockpit door wasn't, uh, was open and people regularly came in to have a look at the flight deck though it was nice or surprising that why it was sitting there, he said, adding a few, uh, very few people recognise him as he walks through Amsterdam Schiphol Airport in KLM uniform and cap. And even when he makes announcements to passengers, Willem Alexander says that uh, as a co-pilot he doesn't have to give his name, so while some people recognise his voice, it's far from all passengers. But most don't listen anyway, he added. Interesting story, Nev, for sure. Uh, <laughs> mm. having, I, I yes. can't imagine our king ever um, t- flying, uh, you know, one of our well, uh, prestigious BA flights. Uh, Although, uh, uh, Prince, well, I don't uh, think so, no, but uh, um, Prince Charles has got a bit of previous uh, flying, <laughs> hasn't he? Uh, not all of it terribly successful. He was uh, responsible for uh, causing a, a 146 to go off the end of the runway. <laughs> Uh, up in uh, one of the Scottish islands a few years ago and uh, hasn't flown since. So, But maybe, uh, you know, the, the king of um, uh, the Netherlands is just keeping his hours up. And uh, exactly. you know, that's good. I mean, it's great, isn't it's it, good. that uh, he, he's doing something which is, uh, you know, a, a normal job, as it were. So, Craig, in, in your uh, in your career so far, when you've been flying, have you um, had any uh, famous uh, run-ins with anyone at all? Uh, no. No? <laughs> Put uh, I do believe someone within our company, uh, he's pretty big in the music industry and uh, did some uh, work with some of the classic rock bands of the uh, 70s and 80s, I believe, but I haven't flown with him yet, and that's about as most interesting person or famous person I know of within our company, but no kings, no presidents. <laughs> Uh, not done the like. So you uh, you wouldn't expect to come on the flight deck one day and uh, find uh, Trump sitting in the uh, in the captain's seat. <laughs> no, I uh, I don't think that's going to happen, and I'd be quite shocked if I did see him there. So uh, passenger wise, though, Craig, I, I take it you obviously um, you, you haven't flown any uh, famous uh, passengers uh, since you've been uh, flying the one seventy one seven five. 
Uh, I see all our passengers as uh, fine folks worthy of the best service. No. But no, I have not seen uh, <laughs> any um, famous people that I could uh, just tell by looking at them. So maybe some skirted by when I was doing the walk around or something, but uh, none to my knowledge so far. Oh. Right, so moving on then to uh, the next story then. Nev, I think this one is for you. Yes, this is all about a passenger um, on an Air Canada flight from Jamaica, Toronto, which was diverted to Orlando. Uh, after authorities say a passenger became aggressive, attacked the crew with coffee pots and tried to open a cabin door. Um, a federal criminal complaint says crew members and other passengers secured Brandon Michael Cornier using zip ties. Orlando television station WFTV reports that the FBI was contacted around 7.30pm on Monday. Investigators said Cornier yelled at passengers for looking at him. They allege he grabbed a coffee pot from the galley and swung it at crew members before saying it would only take one guy to take the plane down. He allegedly lunged for a rear door and began pulling the lever. Federal agents uh, arrested Cornier, who faces several charges. It's not clear whether he has a lawyer. I suggest that he gets one. Um, but, um, well, there you go. And actually, of course, this happened, um, that probably took off just before my BA flight did on um, Monday, uh, going back to uh, to London. So um, there, was, there was obviously this Air Canada flight uh, happened uh, just before I, I took off. But, um, yes, I mean, we, it, this is, it's, I think it's very distressing once again, isn't it? You know, bad passenger behaviour. Um, and uh, luckily, it's not very regular, but it's, well, we're just hearing a lot about it, aren't we? So, uh, and of course, well, let's hope they throw the book at him in, in terms of, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, a, a cost of a diversion is absolutely horrific. Uh, and it obviously disrupts uh, crew positioning, aircraft positioning, timetable, everything. So, uh, yes, he, uh, this chap needs to um, uh, have a, have a talking to. Him, we have seen appear have someone trying to call in. Um, I think this is. Let's have a look here. Hello. Hello. No, I thought that might ah, have been. Yes, I, yes, yes, it looks like it's uh, somebody that we might know. It doesn't seem to be answering though. Trying to no, call in. I don't hear anything. No, no. No, oh, I think that was actually Captain Al trying to call mm. in. But what's happened to Captain Al, we, uh, we, well, we'll never know, I think. He, he might be able to fly an A320 or A321, but he can't, can't get the Skype going. No, no. Oh. Hello. Oh, Captain Al. Hello, greetings. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Oh, we're, we're right in the middle of a live show, so thanks for calling in. You're welcome. <laughs> so whereabouts are you in the, in the world, Al? I'm on the M62. Oh, wonderful. Somewhere, somewhere near Halifax. Okay. <laughs> so you thought you'd give us a call in today on the show. That's very kind of you, Al. Absolutely. Well, I saw you floundering earlier on, on your setting up procedures. <laughs> <laughs> so you're on your way down here to give me a hand? Well, no, no, because I haven't got two weeks for the drive down to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. 
So, How's the show going? Yeah, it's well. It seems to be going very well, Al. Thank you. Yeah, I think we're we're um we're we're on top of things here. I think. Until I hijacked it. Till you till you hijacked it. Yeah, yeah. Are you driving at the moment as well, Al? Funnily enough, yes, I am. I'm not walking along the motorway. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no there's no unfortunately there's no video for Al. Uh, so we can't see Al. There we go. That's... Well, I, I can. I can give you the inside of the car. Hang on. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Are you receiving the inside of the car? No, but we have got a nice picture of the uh, what looks like the flight deck of the A3 th uh, A320. Is that? Or... No, we can't see you, Al. Unfortunately. Oh, okay. Never mind. I have <laughs> accepted the video, but never mind. Oh well. Well, we did try. So where where are you <laughs> off to anyway, Al? Are you off? Are you flying? Or are you off flying today? Or uh, no, I uh, have flown this morning. I did uh, Manchester to Malaga and back, and now I'm driving to Leeds to do Leeds and Palmer and back tomorrow. Oh, sounds like fun. So you uh, so for the benefit of the Facebook stalkers or the uh, Twitter stalkers, I should say. Um, so you so so where is it you're heading again tomorrow? Uh, I'm leaving Leeds to go to Palma de Mallorca, and then from Palma de Mallorca back to Leeds. There we go. You heard it here first, guys. Get in that Twitter account. Get in uh, on the uh, flight radar twenty four, and keep your uh, your eyes open for Captain Al. Uh, what's uh, what's going to be the aircraft of choice tomorrow, Al? Do you know? Uh, yep, it'll be an A320. A320. There we go. Well, thank you for joining That's us. Favorite. Thank you for joining us, Captain Al. <laughs> I'll take it you've. That's quite all right. I'll take it you've recovered uh, from uh, the Pittsburgh meet. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I thought I I might do a sort of Don Sebastian impersonation and just phone <laughs> in in the middle of the show. <laughs> <laughs> So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to wind down the window. Oh. There's a bit of wind noise. <laughs> yeah, something we're used to from you, Al. That is something so, we're used well, to. Well, I set them up for you. I set them up for you, Neville. <laughs> we actually have... Now, we am I right thinking, is, is that First Officer Craig in the top of my screen there? It is. Hello, Captain Al. Uh, very good morning to you, or is it afternoon? Depends where you I, are, I suppose. It's, it's almost 3 o'clock in the afternoon here, so... Okay. So have you recovered? Uh, I have, and I am already practicing for the uh, next meetup. He has a beer in hand, Al. He has a beer uh, in uh, hand. Yes. And I fully... I recovered well. So I fully okay, intend good. on opening. How, how is Sanav? Are you all right there in the middle yes, of my Yes, yeah, not too bad. Yeah, I came back uh, Tuesday morning, a uh, very nice flight back, and actually slept on the plane for about three hours, which is, as I've said to everybody else, has never ever happened before, so I was sufficiently tired. And then straight back into it on Wednesday and Thursday for an exhibition, which did involve uh, more alcohol, uh, surprisingly enough. So, um, well, I suspect that you slept on the flight due to that blood loss. You know that must have tired you out. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yes. That that injury certainly it was horrific. But uh, no, it's all all healing up nicely now. Thank you very much. Excellent. Good, good. Well, shall I leave you in peace to carry on with the show? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always nice to hear from you, Alice. It's a shame you're not at home and in the uh, in the uh, Al studio. Have you done the top ten yet? No, we haven't. We haven't got a top ten this week, unfortunately. Hang on, 
hang on. No top ten. No top ten. I'm very sorry. <laughs> we'll have one. Is this because the executive producer hasn't been available today, so that therefore you haven't bothered? That that's what it is, Al. Yeah, the executive producer's uh, <laughs> ill, and uh, yeah, we uh, we just couldn't be bothered. <laughs> well, standards are slipping, you know. I know. I know. Well, we'll have you back on the show again at some point soon, no doubt, Al. I, mean, I just want to check for, you know, quality and standards. Was the number two story a Ryanair story? It was, yes. Okay, so the whole show hasn't fallen completely apart in Matt's absence. <laughs> no, not at all, Al, not at all. Yeah, I, I had the humiliation of reading the Ryanair story, Al, which you can imagine how difficult that was for me. Yes, I, I can imagine that that was rather disturbing for you. Have you actually ever flown Ryanair now? Only once, from Luton to Kerry, and uh, I will not be doing... That's right, yes. Actually, <laughs> I, I'm not in a rush to do it again. No, actually, Liz, uh, Liz Piper in the chat room, Al, has said that we should do a top ten foods that you ate in Pittsburgh. Or Pittsburgh. All right, okay. Have you got your music lined up? No, I haven't got the music lined up. <laughs> God, I'm 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 just about coping with uh, with what I've got here. Uh, I don't think. Um, oh, actually, we could play some music. Wait a minute, hold on. Let's see if this works. Bear with me. This may and that work. shows in at number five, a new high riser. <laughs> no, I just can't wait now for you to get pulled over by the. Um, uh, by the Greater Manchester Police or, or whatever uh, district you're in at the moment and explain to them <laughs> what you're doing. Yeah, explain to them what, what you're exactly doing. Well, I'm on I'm on a live show here. We're at, yeah. Oh, uh, Barbara in the chat room has asked, Al, how was the 787? Um, do you really want to know? Well, mine was, mine was lovely, Al. Mine was barely three months old, so uh, mine was fantastic. Windows failed. That's all you need to know. <laughs> the windows failed. Really? Yeah, well, you know the 787 has some sort of rather swanky, some sort of electrical system that, you know, dims the windows down or, or brightens them up depending on time of day and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, it failed. All right, okay. So when everyone was trying to sleep in the middle of the night and all the windows brightened up, some bright spark amongst the cabin crew decided to make a PA apologising for the fact that the windows had failed. <laughs> and what airline was this, Al? This was American Airlines. Oh, okay, okay. No, I didn't have that. Didn't have that problem with Air Canada. It makes lots of funny noises. That seven eight seven, doesn't it? Oh, that's just the whisperness quiet of the uh, of the engines. That is Al. <laughs> Whisperness quiet, I see. <laughs> I know. Don't have a whinge about the PTU making a barking noise on the on the airbuses. <laughs> that plastic fantastic makes some horrendous squealing and banging noises. I thought that um, that PTU sound actually Al, was um, similar to someone sawing some MDF as well. Absolutely, yeah. And if you do find yourself soaring MDF, please do put a mask on. The dust isn't good for you. <laughs> <laughs> so you heard it here first. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> you heard it here first, guys. Right, Al, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna let you get back to your driving because we, we'd rather have you uh, in uh, in good health for when you take those passengers off tomorrow. So, Al, we'll yeah, get. No, I'm I'm hands-free. There's a concept for you. That's what she said. And, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We shall shall catch up with you soon, Al. Okay. Well, it's been splendid uh, (laughs) phoning in and gate-crashing. Gate-crashing, yeah. (laughs) Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, (laughs) that was my fault. (laughs) Sorry, Al. Oh dear, he's, he appears to have gone. He appears to have oh, Very sorry, what Al. A shame. Very sorry, Al. Right, if we could get back to the news. <laughs> Poor Al. I'll send him a bunch <laughs> of flowers. So, uh, next story is uh, for you, Craig, isn't it? It's uh, my turn. Here we go. Uh, from the Aviation Herald, uh, Mesa E-175 near Louisville, as they say it. Uh, on May 18, 2017, hydraulic failure, all main tires burst on landing. Sounds like fun. Uh, Mesa Airlines Embraer ERJ-175 on behalf of United. Uh, registration uh, 88325, doing flight 6073 from Toronto to Houston Intercontinental. With 77 people on board, was en route at flight level uh, 340, about 100 miles northwest of Wolville, when the crew received indication of a hydraulic failure. The aircraft diverted to Wolville and landed on runway 717 right about 30 minutes after leaving flight level 340. However, all four main tires deflated during rollout and the aircraft was disabled on the runway. The runway needed to be closed until the aircraft could be removed from the runway. And there's a picture here of the plane from the rear end, and it does look like all four main tires have burst. Yeah. How, um, obviously, you fly this particular type of, uh, of aircraft, Craig. How, how, well, you know, how major is that hydraulic failure? Is there various parts that can fail or, or a full hydraulic failure on, uh, on the aircraft? Um, I'm surprised uh, here that they had this type of uh, issue. Uh, there was three uh, hydraulic systems on the Embraer 175. Um, so they're all redundant and back up each other, and each one has portions of it going to the brakes in a certain set. So I don't know if it was a total hydraulic failure or uh, what the issue was. Um, I do understand that if it is a total hydraulic failure that uh, there's hydraulic accumulators that carry hydraulic uh, liquid under pressure and that the emergency brake would still work even if you lost all uh, three hydraulic systems and that you had to be very uh, judicial when applying the emergency brake upon landing because you can as they did blow out all the tires so you, uh, the emergency brake in the 175 is almost like an emergency or uh, brake in a car and you just have to be uh, very careful and be very slow and smooth with it and just bring it up ever so slightly till you get some that brake pressure going you don't want to just pull it up all the way to the stop because then you'll definitely have uh, the burst tires because that's 3,000 PSI of hydraulic fluid on the brakes. So um, glad no one was hurt and uh, 
hopefully they can uh, get that plane back in uh, working order soon. So the hydraulic systems on, on the aircraft then, Craig, obviously you've got the hydraulics for the brakes and stuff. So you, what, what else do the hydraulics uh, control on the 175? Ooh, you're testing my systems now. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> um, the uh, Embraer, uh, the flight controls are all actuated by hydraulics. So the ailerons, it is traditional ca uh, cables and pulleys, but it goes to a... Uh, hydraulic actuator which moves the ailerons and then you got the elevator and rudder and the stabilizer which are all hydraulically powered as well as the spoilers uh let's see the gear retraction and extensions hydraulic the braking's hydraulic um and one more the engine reversers are also hydraulically actuated oh the thrust reversers Yes. Yeah. Are they uh, the same? What sort of engines are on the Embraer one set? Are they the ones that have the, the kind of the I forget what it is now. They're not the clamshell. They're the new where the um, is it the side uh, panels on the engine open up to produce a reverse thrust? Um, they are CFM thirty four eight E five model engines. Um, and they are not the clamshell. They're the portion where the back half kind of just moves back. Mm. And creates that opening for the reverse thrust to come out. And I'm guessing uh, that stops fairly uh, sharp when you put those thrust reversers on full. <laughs> um, actually, the thrust reversers on the 170 aren't that great at helping, um, but the brakes are very, very uh, great at stopping the plane. The plane was designed for uh, short field operations, so you can uh, definitely get stopped quick, but uh, thrust reversers aren't really going to help you much with it, but the braking system uh, is very powerful and will help you get stopped pretty quick. There we go. Uh, always good to have someone with uh, plenty of tech knowledge on the show, hey, Nev? Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, I, I couldn't have <laughs> answered that question, so I'm glad that Craig was around. <laughs> <laughs> so the next story uh, is on the uh, straightstimes.com website. And a bit of a kind of little mini story one. The headline, Disappearance of Private Plane, uh, Five More Bermuda Triangle Mysteries. So for those of you who are listening who are interested in the Bermuda Triangle. So closely associated with frequent aircraft and boat disappearances, the Bermuda Triangle has captured the imagination of both conspiracy theorists and the general public. A small private plane carrying pilot Nathan Ulrich, 52, and his girlfriend Jennifer Blumen, 40, along with her two sons, aged three and four, disappeared without any warning on Monday, May the 15th. Debris of the plane was found on the next day around 24 kilometers east of Eleuthera, uh, the Bahamas, uh, said a United States Coast Guard spokesman. Uh, theories behind the Triangle's infamy range from adverse weather conditions to alien abductions. So uh, there's a few, uh, five cases here of, uh, of some stuff that's happened in the Bermuda Triangle, some of which uh, you may have heard about. Uh, the first one on the list is Flight 19. Uh, this one was uh, comprising of five uh, United States Navy Avenger torpedo bombers carrying 14 men in total. Flight 19 took off from a base in Fort Lauderdale, Florida on December the 5th, 1945 before disappearing without a trace. 
dubbed the Lost Squadron. The planes, which were on a training flight, have eluded all searches to date. Multiple wreckage discoveries in the Triangle have been attributed wrongly, including a widely publicised one in 1991. Navy investigators initially concluded that the planes likely ran out of fuel due to a navigational error before amending their conclusion to cause unknown. Uh, so next one on the list, we've got the Mary Celeste, uh, a ship carrying goods from New York City to Genoa, Italy. The Mary Celeste was found adrift around 640 kilometers east of the Azores by D. Gratia, or Gratia, Gratia, Gratia? Oh, a British ship on December the 5th, 1872. Upon boarding the Mary Celeste, uh, the D. Gratia's crew discovered that much of the ships remained intact, but there was no sign of the 10-strong crew who left their belongings behind. Speculation of the crew's fate came to a head with a Smithsonian-funded investigation that concluded the crew likely abandoned the ship after the captain lost his bearings and got the uh, ship stuck in a large storm. Next on the list, the USS Cyclops, uh, one I've heard of, uh, dubbed one of the most baffling mysteries um, in the annals of the United States Navy. The USS Cyclops was a, was a Collier ship, uh, a ship designed to carry coal that was launched in 1910. Setting off uh, for Baltimore from Barbados on March the 4th, 1918, all contact with the Cyclops was lost soon after, with all subsequent searches unsuccessful. The loss of the Cyclops, which carried 306 strong crew, remains the single largest loss of life not involving combat in the United States Navy's history, even though the ship operated at the height of World War One. Uh, another aircraft-related one, number four, uh, Airborne Transport DC-3, November Charlie 16002. On the night of December 28, 1948, a Douglas DC-3 airliner piloted by Robert Lindquist disappeared en route to Miami from Puerto Rico. Ignoring warnings from a ground crew that the plane's batteries needed charging, Lindquist pushed for flight NC-16002 to remain on schedule, claiming that the plane's onboard generators could sufficiently charge it. After a final transmission claiming that the plane was 80 kilometers south of Miami, Linquist plane vanished along with, its, uh, with his co-pilot, the stewardess, and all 29 passengers. Investigators concluded that several lapses of the part of Lindquist, including an overloading of the plane, contributed to the plane's likely malfunction and subsequent disappearance. Uh, the fifth one on the list, Carol A. Deering, discovering a gro uh, discovered a ground off Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, in 1921. The schooner Carol A. Deering was, a c was completely abandoned in a seeming haste with what seemed like next day's meal being in preparation. On board the ship, other inconsistencies included an extra bed in the captain's personal chamber that was recently slept in and a logbook written in a different hand from the captain's. The Deering has remained one of the most abiding mysteries associated with the Triangle, uh, with other theories including a crew mutiny. So kind of a mix there of um, aviation and uh, kind of shipping stories, but the Bermuda Triangle, definitely one of those mysteries that um, continues to uh, to baffle everyone. Uh, I'm guessing you don't fly anywhere near the Bermuda Triangle, Craig? Uh, no, uh, we my company does go to some of the Caribbean islands, but do not think we go near um, the Bermuda Triangle. And if we have, we probably didn't hear about because they just disappeared. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, but what, uh, not to my knowledge. What do you think then, Craig? Is it all is it all a myth, or do you think there's some kind of truth in the Bermuda Triangle? 
parts of me want to want to say it's missed, but then parts of me do want to say it's true. Um, maybe they're just really good escape artists. Um, it's a tough one to try and comprehend and get all the answers to. What about you, Nev? Any thoughts on the uh, triangle? Yeah, I'm I'm the same as Craig actually here. I, I um I'm very skeptical by by nature, but it is strange, isn't it, how so many things have uh, disappeared or things have happened in in that region, and um, I don't know whether we will ever find out the real reason, but uh, that there's there's something about that area, isn't there? Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely one of those things that yeah that needs to be proven to be either real or fake. I think. But next story, Nev is uh is for you especially yes for and you. it's it's yeah thank you for choosing this one for me uh carlos it's uh <laughs> from the uh, the sun.co.uk and um usual exaggeration from the media department there uh <laughs> sorry the uh, the travel department mid-air drama british airways flight ba 360 from heathrow to leon forced to return after loud bang from engine 20 minutes into flight and uh, it says that the BA flight had been forced to return to Heathrow Airport this morning after passengers heard a loud bang from the engine. The early morning flight, BA360, had taken off for its journey to Lyon when an in-flight emergency was declared about 20 minutes later. And uh, one passenger said there'd been a loud bang whilst the plane was in the air. He told <laughs> the Sun online after about 20 minutes there was a quite a loud bang. We slowed down and slowly turned around. Uh, he said, relieved passengers applauded when the Airbus A320 landed safely back in London. Uh, the passenger said that the plane was had been told there had been an engine stall with engineers called in to examine the aircraft. More of that in a minute. I don't think it was really an engine stall. Um, he said that the pilot came back to speak to the passengers after the emergency landing, with the pilot telling them that it was the first time we'd had an engine stall happen in real life, with pilots having trained for similar incidents uh, through simulation exercises every six months. And the planes are now back at Heathrow, and BA said, we're very sorry for the delay to our customers' journeys after their flight returned to the airport following a technical issue. And the safety and comfort of our customers is always a top priority. And, of course, it is. But I think what they experienced was a compressor stall, I would imagine. Mm. Um, mm. And that is a local disruption of the airflow uh, in a gas turbine or a turbocharged uh, compressor. And I think it's actually related to a compressor surge, uh, which is a complete disruption of the flow through the compressor. And with all the engine... Um, you know management systems that go on these days a, a compressor stall is extremely rare but does happen occasionally and you normally get a nice um bit of flame coming out the back of the engine at the same time um but obviously and the, these aircraft are designed to fly on one engine and so they just return to Heathrow and uh obviously change the aircraft and uh uh, deplane the passengers but um yeah it, quite loud and i'm not saying that it's not um alarming but uh i think i'm right in saying craig it's um not exactly a catastrophe, is it? Not as the sun would. Yeah. Have, have you ever had any loud, uh, loud bangs on your aircraft, Craig? Uh, <laughs> only when I hit my head on the top of the plane trying to get in. <laughs> but um, I've never had a compressor stall or anything of the like. Um, but Nev was correct in the explanation of what the compressor stall is, and that can create the loud bang. And the air does flow to the. Uh, area of least resistance so if there is that disturbance in the compressor area then the air that's being combusted back will flow forward and make that loud bang so i would agree with nev in saying that that's most likely what happened in this case 
So there we go. Next story, and uh, this one is for you, Craig. Yes, uh, it's loading. Give me a second. Here we go. This is from the Cron. Uh, U.S. airlines expect record number of summer travelers. All right, I just had a picture gallery pop up. One second. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, airlines expected the number of air travelers to increase 4% during this year's summer travel period. A record two, 234.1 million passengers are expected to travel on the U.S. airlines this summer. Industry Trade Organ Organization Airlines for America reported Thursday. That's up 4% from the 224.8 million people who traveled from June 1st to August 31st of last year. Raising the U.S. GDP, a steadily improving economy, all-time high household net worth, and low airfares are fueling the expected growth in summer air travel, said A4A Vice President Chief Economist John Hemwick, we continue to see customers value experiences and travel, and airlines are responding accordingly by increasing staffing and boosting the availability of seats in the marketplace, as well as further investing in new aircraft and customer-facing technology. Last year, 14.6 million people traveled through Houston's airports during the three-month summer period, the Houston airport system said. Busy times for you then, Craig, obviously coming up. And if uh, if this is uh, increasing with passenger numbers in the U.S., which I'm sure is, is busy anyway, as it is now. Uh, yes, it's uh, the fine's starting to pick up in the last uh, bidding period. I noticed there is a lot more available lines for pilots to bid on, and that means more pilots are coming off of reserve and actually getting the hold uh, line schedule. We're also accepting a couple new aircraft, which will help increase our fleet and uh, hiring with my company, both on the flight attendant side and the pilot side, have been pretty steady. And uh, so, yeah, busy times. Excellent. So what uh, what is a busy time for you? Uh, fly I mean, how many flights would you do in a normal kind of work rotation then, Craig? Uh, this month, I've, I have three four-day trips and one three-day trip and i've had the most i've had in one day is four legs and least is one leg but um i'm flying a lot i'm about 91 hours of flying this month is what i'm scheduled for and the limit is 100 so wow. they're uh, working us pretty uh much up to the limit but you enjoy it though <laughs> Oh, I, I love it. Uh, compared to my last job, I enjoyed my last job, but that was a lot more flying, a lot more legs per day. So uh, cutting those legs about half to even more than half, it's uh, been a, more relaxing for me, but I enjoy the flying, so no complaints here. So that's why we're going to bring the commercial uh, part of the show uh, news-wise to a close, and uh, we're going to come back with some... Uh, military news, a little splattering of military news uh, to do with uh, one of our air shows here in the UK. So we're going to come back to you right after this. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. TheVoicesInYourHead.com
The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on Twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. Flyby 5823 Trent Dane for 23R Manchester Wizz Air 6X Client Flight Level 210 Direct to Britain's Park United, one, two, three, maintain two, eight, zero knots. Tandem to DME, turn right onto Bravo, link. Do one, join Alpha, hold at Mora. Speedbird 472, LOC slash DME, approach runway 27 left. Follow the green stand 544. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Aviation media has long been the domain of the newspapers and magazines. Well, not anymore. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran, and we're bringing aviation right into your radio. Yes, we're making aviation cool and interesting for everyone. Hang on. Aviation's always been cool. Check this out. How cool is this? Grant, Grant, turn that down. Here at Plane Crazy Down Under, we've got pilots, engineers, air traffic controllers, industry leaders, even politicians dropping by to talk to us about the amazing world of aviation right here in Australia and occasionally in New Zealand as well. Wow, that's cooler than I thought, mate. Find us at planecrazydownunder.com, on iTunes, or lurking about on other people's podcasts just like this one. We've got crazy accents and lots of great aviation content. And we promise not to talk about the cricket. No, never. Not the cricket. Quack, 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 quack. <laughs> what is cricket anyhow? Something we win a lot. Oh, there oh. we go. <laughs> The first story in the military news segment for this week is on the Lincolnite.co.uk and the headline, Royal Air Force to send frontline for, uh, fighting force to Scampton Air Show 2017. So the Royal Air Force has confirmed it will be sending its frontline fighter and ground attack aircraft uh, to join the lineup for the highly anticipated 2017 Scampton Air Show. Uh, adding to an already exciting array of aircraft due to appear in Scampton on September the 9th and 10th. Visitors will now have the chance to get up close and personal with uh, more awe-inspiring flying machines and walk amongst the RAF's premier aircraft in the static display park. The Royal Air Force will be sending the Typhoon and two Tornadoes to the static lineup at the event. Joining uh, them on display will be the Hawk T1 as flown by the Red Arrows and more modern T2. Uh, the twin-engined uh, King Air and two Takano trainers have also been added to the static lineup, along with the uh, Tutor basic trainer. 
Air show director Paul Sal is delighted with the RAF participation. Um, he says the support from the Royal Air Force for this inaugural air show is truly exceptional. Scampton Air Show will offer the East of England a unique opportunity to see these aircraft, their air crews, and of course the international counterparts from France and Belgium, along with others to be announced at a later date at close quarters. This really does stand to be a colourful and awe-inspiring sight. Visitors can look forward to being immersed in a feast of aviation, meeting crews from around the world, getting up close and personal uh, to aircraft in the static park, as well as experiencing the amazing five-hour flying display. All of this, plus a whole host of colourful activities happening on the ground. Uh, Scampton Air Show is perfect for families, and admission is free to under-16s. Now, you can get tickets to uh, the Scampton Air Show if you want to go to uh, their website at uh, www.scamptonairshow.com. Uh, one of the air shows that I haven't been to yet, actually, uh, in all my years. Nev, I'm, uh, have you been to uh, the Scampton Air Show? Or? No, I've heard a lot about it, but uh, it sounds interesting, doesn't it, Carlos? Yeah, very yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, obviously, the um, one of the the big surprises actually that I got from um, from the wings of a Pittsburgh air show was the fact uh, how all the aircraft on display didn't have any fences or anything around them. You could walk right up yeah. and uh, right up close to to the aircraft, which I think was mm. uh, was made a made a heck of a difference for me anyway. Walking around the aircraft, what uh, what do you think there? Yeah, I think it's all about the accessibility, isn't it? And I think they did such a, such a good job of that. And um, when you know, when when people put on air shows, and so often you you just can't get near the hardware, as it were, and uh, it's a little bit disappointing. But they did a they did a great job there, and they did their very best to give us uh, the best access that we could get. I think. Yeah, they definitely did have a fantastic display there at the air show. So uh, hats off to you, Rick Bell, if you're listening to the mm. show. Well done. He's uh, uh, Captain Rick is in the chat room. Oh, Captain so, Rick, he's in the chat room. So yeah. uh, big thumbs up to you, Rick. You've done exceptionally well for the air show. You've, uh, yeah, you've definitely uh, done us proud. So, Nev, the next story is uh, all for you. Yeah, this is from the uh, airforcetimes.com and it says that Air Force bombers are heading to England in June as part of an assurance and deterrence mission, according to the head of Air Force Global Strike Command. The bombers will, will spend a few weeks at RAF Fairford just exercising and showing our presence, General Robin Rand said at a Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies breakfast on Wednesday. The mission coincides uh, with the Royal Annual Royal, sorry, the Annual Royal International Air Tattoo, which is the world's largest military air show, which we know all about, of course. And it's a good opportunity for us to do what we call a bomber assurance and deterrence mission, Rand said. He declined to discuss the specifics, including what type of bombers will be there, but he emphasised that this is a routine mission and it doesn't mean that there will be a continuous bomber presence in Europe. RAF Fairford is a known uh, forward operating location that has been used for US combat operations in the past, Rand said, referring to when US aircraft flew to Kosovo from Fairford. So actually, Fairford is, is quite a strategic uh, place uh, for, for the US guys there, isn't it, uh, Carlos? And uh, uh, it's obviously it's great that it's going to coincide with uh, RIAT as well, which is uh, brilliant. Yeah, I was going to say RIAT is in July this year, the Royal International Air Tattoo at RAF Fairford. So yeah, if, um, that, which always has uh, a good display of aircraft, military air or hardware on static display. So yeah, um, this will add to the massive display that uh, is already there. Are you uh, attending uh, this year, Nev, or...? 
No, I, I'm going to be away for a lot of June, um, but um, I don't think I will be this year. I can't quite justify the, the time <laughs> nor the money, because I think it's quite expensive uh, this year, you, you were saying. Uh, it's, it's, Shove the prices up. Yeah, the, the ticket prices. Um, well, I mean, I say Eric, they are expensive, I, I suppose, for an air show. But um, yeah, the, the the big difference I think for me um, after coming to Pittsburgh last, you know, the, the last week was purely the fact, you know, that you could get up so close to these aircraft, which you don't get that opportunity at Riyadh, unfortunately. Mm. Um, um, nearly, I would, I would say that at least 95% of the aircraft on static display at Riyadh are all fenced off, and you don't get a chance to kind of uh, go up and poke and prod, as we'd say, the aircraft, which is uh, is unfortunate. But um, is this um, one of the things that you'd like to perhaps do in the future, Craig, come over to uh, the UK and go to one of the air shows uh, here? Oh, definitely. Uh, I've heard uh, next year, I believe, is uh, Riet and Fomber together. So uh, I would love to uh, take Ashley over on a pre-honeymoon since we're getting married <laughs> next year around that time. And, uh, go enjoy those air shows and see our, our fine friends over on that side of the pond. You don't think you could kind of coincide a honeymoon then with a visit to the UK and to big air shows? Do you think that would go down well? No. Uh, she already said she's on board with it, so it's just uh, really? like Nev uh, finding the time for it, and uh, we'll try and make it happen, but uh, time will tell. It'd be nice if you could make it over, obviously, uh, for uh, for the two air shows, and perhaps next year. Next year being obviously Farnborough as well, so perhaps next year we could all do a, a, another meet-up again, maybe at, uh, at Riyadh or Farnborough. So, mm. uh, yeah, that'd be good. So, Craig, the last story uh, is all for you. Yes, it's from FlightGlobal.com. Uh, United States Air Force list ban on lightweight pilots for F-35A ejection seat. The U.S. Air Force has removed a nearly two-year-old restriction in the Lockheed Martin F-35A cockpit that banned pilots lighter than 61.9 kilograms, which is 136 pounds, over concern that the injection could cause a severe neck injury. The approval means that the Martin Baker Mark 16 ejection seat meets the original United States Air Force specification for the F-35 Alpha, which requires the manufacturer to operate all pilots weighing over 46.7 kilograms. I've flown in the seat myself and believe that these modifications, this is the safest ejection seat I've ever flown, says Brigadier General Scott Place. Uh, the F-35 Integration Office Director for the Air Force. Concerns about neck injuries in fighter cockpits have grown almost in proportion to the size of pilots' helmets as helmet-mounted queuing system technology has proliferated. The two-year-old uh, report by the Department of Defense Inspector General found that concerns about how such helmets could injure lightweight pilots was were widespread. The U.S. Navy had banned pilots under 61.9 kilograms from flying the Boeing FA-18E and F model Super Hornet due to the same issue. For the F-35, the solution involved a mixture of modifications to the helmet, the ejection seat, and the ejection sequence. Division Systems International Helmet uh, was modified to reduce weight. The Rockwell Collins 
Elbit system joint venture removed internal straps and a external visor. Martin Baker added a head support was added a head support was installed onto the rear wrist risers of the seat as a cushion. The company also added a switch that the lighter pods can activate. If the switch is turned on, the computer inside the seat modifies the ejection sequence in the event the pilot needs to exit the cockpit in flight. Modified sequence delays parachute deployment at high speeds and lower parachute opening forces. Modification will now be retrofitted on 100 F-35As already delivered to the United States Air Force and enter Lockheed's production system. As the restrictions lift, Martin Baker can sigh, uh, breathe a sigh of relief. At one point last year, United States Air Force officials contemplated reopening the ejection seat competition, allowing United Technologies Aerospace Systems a chance to make a pitch for a newly developed AE, or excuse me, ACES-5 ejection seat. So you know, one of these things you never think about, Nev, is that when you're, um, you know, you look at these ejection seats and stuff, is that there there are weight limit. Uh, there is a weight limit to, you know, to have with these ejection seats. Yeah, and uh, obviously I would exceed that weight limit <laughs> by some margin, I would imagine. But also there's a uh, the lower limit as well, I, I would guess. But uh, mm. yeah, it's um, it's the one thing you never want to have to do, isn't it? But of course, those that have done it have got the uh, the Martin Baker tie, and uh, uh, they are obviously the the the. The gear is made to a fantastically high specification, isn't it? So, um, mm. because it's got to work, it's got to work first time every time. <laughs> I was actually thinking back to the Pittsburgh trip. Uh, there was mention that um, maybe that uh, United were going to fit one of these seats, especially for um, Brian Coleman. Yes. <laughs> well, he needs it, doesn't he? Let's let's face it. Um, but um, uh, no. So um, yeah, it, it, obviously there are weight and height limits anyway, because the you know the uh, space available available in these military aircraft is uh, extremely limited, isn't it? So uh, yeah, you, you've got to fit uh, fit in it quite well. So that's where we bring the military part of news to a close on the show this week. So as uh, you've all seen and heard, we have got a very special guest indeed in the uh, or in the well in on the show and in the chat room as well. He's in the chat room as well. He's keeping the uh, listeners engaged in the chat room. Uh, so yeah, a massive thanks again to you, Craig, for uh, for coming on the show and uh, joining us today. Oh no problem. Thank you for having me. Uh been a listener for quite some time so it's uh, awesome to finally uh, be on the show as a guest oh it's been good to have you so craig we'll have a little chat with you now then so we're gonna we're gonna talk a bit about uh, a bit about your career and how things started for you uh, with flying so let's go back to go back to where it all began for you what uh, what was the kind of um, initial start all right um when i was about 12 in uh, middle school i believe um my parents both worked at a baseball, softball, which are sports here in the U.S. for those who don't know, uh, training facility down by uh, Baltimore, Washington International Airport. And on the weekends, our, uh, my parents would take my sister and I there and um, driving on the one road to get there. It was on the approach end of 3-3 left there at BWI and seeing the Southwest planes fly over with at what seemed almost uh, arm reach out of the car uh, length away uh, really piqued my interest and surprisingly enough at the uh, baseball softball train facility I saw a K-1 
kid that had a laptop and a joystick playing, I believe it was Flight Simulator 2004 or something like that. So I was like, oh, I should get myself one of those. So a couple years down the line, I uh, got myself a simu uh, Flight Sim 10 and a joystick and uh, played that on and off. Uh, and that's kind of how I got the aviation bug. So where did the um, the actual flying part start? Did you did you have your your initial PPL training, um, uh, you know, before you obviously started into commercial stuff? So did you learn to fly as I've been flying the 150 or uh, a sort of GA aircraft? Uh, no, in high school I had one or two flights with a buddy of mine and his dad. Uh, I played baseball with a friend of mine, and his dad co-owns a Cirrus, so I was able to get a two about I think two flights with him and that just around the neighborhood and whatnot. But it wasn't until uh, it was time to look for colleges that uh, my mom came to me. She was helping me in the search, and she was like, "Well, you can go to school to become a pilot." I was like, "Really?" So that really piqued my interest and decided to do it and uh, haven't looked back since. So I didn't actually start my flight training until uh, the fall of 2012, so about five years ago. So where did the uh, the actual airline part start for you, Craig? When, uh, when did that training start? Uh, for my current airline, the training started, I, was, I had my interview back in August of 2016. And in-doc class started the end of November, right after Thanksgiving here in the United States. Um, and that was a couple weeks long. And then uh, we had the simulator training, which was another couple weeks. And I finished that all up and finished my check. Sorry, my cat is attacking a bag of potato chips over there, and it's throwing <laughs> me off. <laughs> That's fine. Um, Yep, so simulator training and finished my check ride in January, and then I didn't do uh, my initial operating experience till about mid to late February, and that was about that was a four-day trip and completed that, and I've been online and flying the line since. So you said, um, obviously, in, in the kind of bio thing, Craig, that you had some flying in the uh, Cessna 208 uh, caravan. Tell us a bit more about that. Yes, um, my pr in a, my previous job before this current one, I was flying for a company called Mokulele Airlines, which, as the name might suggest, Sounds is a Hawaiian-based. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is a Hawaiian-based uh, airline that does island hopping out in Hawaii. But long story short, I was not in Hawaii. I was in the great state of Pennsylvania flying the essential air service routes. Uh, we were being wet leased by a company called Southern Airways Express. So uh, we were just in Pittsburgh last weekend, and I've done quite a bit of flying into there um, because of those essential air service routes. So um, we were flying uh, Cessna Grand Caravans, dual pilot part 135, flying passengers around. So no, uh, no parachute kind of uh, flying like Dr. Steph does with the, uh, with the caravan? No. No. <laughs> so what, how does it compare, uh, Craig, going from uh, the 208 to the Embraer? Um, automation and the technology in the plane. We had four caravans out on the East Coast tier. Two of them had autopilot. One of them wasn't really worth anything, so you could say we only have one plane with autopilot. And they were all uh, steam gauge airplanes, um, 
And on the FO side, which I was, we only we literally only had the standard six pack and n nothing else. So it was six pack on my side, GPS radio in the middle, and then the captain had all the bells and whistles of ADF and VOR dials and all that. So when it, it made it quite interesting when it came time for me to shoot a instrument approach, I actually had to look about two and a half, three feet over to the captain's side of the plane and look at his uh, HSI horizontal situation indicator to fly an uh, ILS approach, which when it was bumpy and bad weather made it quite interesting. But seeing that I'm a CF double I and can teach instrument, that's how I had to teach instrument students is looking across them at their instruments. So uh, it wasn't that difficult, but uh, at first it was interesting. But getting to the 170, um, 175, the technology's amazing. Autopilot's great. We also have auto throttles. Um, plane makes you really, really lazy. Uh, you have to fight complacency a lot and definitely try my best to uh, hand fly it as much as I can. Just a, uh, a quick question uh, from the chat room, um, Craig. Uh, Liz Piper asks, what are your career aspirations? What, what, sort, of, um, what sort of career progression would you, would you like for yourself? Um, I would love uh, in the next, I'd say, five, ten years to get on with FedEx flying uh, the MD-11. I would love to fly something with more than two engines before they all go extinct. Um, but if for some reason FedEx doesn't work out, think Southwest would be another great choice uh, with the proximity to home and seeing that they're a great company. Um, then uh, after that, I think I got American United tied for three, just again, their bases and proximity to home here in Baltimore. And um, Micah asks, he says that uh, you're certified on the 170, 175 and 190. Um, what are the main differences between those three types of aircraft? Uh, between the 170, uh, well, they're all common type rating. Uh, the 170, 175, the only difference is the 175 is five feet longer. It's got the same wingspan, same engine, same everything. It's just a little longer and can carry a little more uh, weight. And as far as the 190, we didn't get the uh, 190 differences training because uh, we don't have that aircraft at our company anymore. So I'm not uh, fairly familiar with the 190 uh, in all its specs, but it is uh, taller, larger wingspan, longer, and uh, a little heftier engines on the 190. Yeah, interesting. And uh, another question from Mike. How did you met, uh, meet your fiance, Ashley? Is that uh, <laughs> through the, the world of aviation <laughs> hey. or, or something? Uh, no, uh, a high school job of mine, I was working at a local ice rink in the area as a skate guard, so people come, just skate around, and I was there to help people up, kind of make sure they follow the rules, this, that, and the other, and uh, one day I was working, and there was this beautiful woman there, and skating around, and she ended up falling, so it's for my job, and to meet her, I went up to her to try and help her up and she snubbed me saying no I'm fine I'll get up on my own and was playing hard to get all evening long and by the end of the night I ended up giving her my number oh yes how how very chivalrous of you as well That's, yes. uh, yeah, thank you well it's great to uh, great to hear some of those uh, questions in the chat room any more uh, uh, Carlos at all yeah I was gonna say actually um, 
as the ag obviously you've flown the caravan and stuff um and you're a cfi the, the cfi part of that what what kind of training was involved in in getting that qualification could you go out now and, and come over here in the uk and train me because that'll be that'd be quite handy <laughs> I would I would love to, uh, Carlos. I'm sure you'd be a great student to work with. Oh, um, but as far as uh, legality wise, I'm not sure uh, how a FAA uh, flight instructor certificate translates into a uh, ICAO or European one. So might have to look at the legality issues of that. But um, after I got my commercial, uh, I did private instrument, commercial multi, and then commercial single. Then got uh, I'm only ready to do uh, flight instructing on a single-engine aircraft, and it w took quite some time. I took a lot of extra credits that semester of school, kind of misjudged it all, and I think the limit's 18, and I got approval to do 23 credits that semester. So I, was, I uh, dove in the deep end that those couple months, and it took about five months for me to get when I started CFI training to finish it just because of the, how much work I had going on at the time. But, um, no, it was a good experience. I'm glad I did it, and I hope that I keep it up. I do enjoy instructing, but it's a lot more stressful than just flying a passenger aircraft. So the uh, the airline you fly for at the moment, Craig, Acme Jr., are, uh, are there any aircraft in that fleet that you'd like to, uh, to get your hands on, or is it just mainly the, the Embraer uh, aircraft that you're flying? Uh, we are only operating the 17175. Um, the company did used to own uh, Q400s, 17175, uh, 190s, and at one point uh, CRJs, I think, way down the line. But after the whole bankruptcy uh, that we went through the last couple of years, we consolidated down to just 17175, or more the largest uh, Embraer. Uh, 170, 175 operator that I know of. So uh, going on to uh, sort of like to the future, obviously you said you want to try moving to cargo. How how quickly do you want to make that progression, or are you going to keep with the the airline for you know for some time and try and move into the uh, to the left seat at some point? Um, I'm I'd like to move to the left seat. I would like to get that PIC time and experience uh, to help me move on to my future job. Uh, that might take, uh, they're saying about two, three years for that upgrade time. I'm thinking it might start cutting down here soon. There seems to be a lot of movement going on now that our company just got out of bankruptcy and all that. So I'm hoping within the next five to seven years I'll be at my uh, mainline goal of FedEx and hopefully within the next year and a half, two years, upgrading the captain. So we've got a question for you from the chat room again, uh, Craig. This is from Tony S. He's asking, uh, how quickly can you progress up the senior, uh, seniority ladder at uh, regional airlines uh, such as Acme Junior? Uh, for, for me, it's been uh, quite uh, quickly. Um, I've been on the seniority list since November of last year, and... I've already bumped up almost 200 spots, so that's people being hired behind wow. me and people leaving ahead of me. Um, from what I understand, that's pretty darn quick, um, and I'm sure it's just going to get quicker with uh, all the movement that's going on between majors and regionals and uh, all that. So I'm hoping that uh, the progression continues to speed up. 
That'd be nice, uh, nice if you could yeah. hit that hit that left seat as soon as possible. So, Craig, obviously, yes. we, we've talked on the show before about um, uh, the kind of chats and the stuff that the pilots give the passengers before takeoff and that. And some airlines that we have here in the UK, a lot of the um, the sort of the, the flight deck crew don't bother to chat to the to the passengers during a flight to give any information at all, whatever. Do you think that's the important thing? Or do you yourself kind of give any uh, tidbits of information while you're en route to uh, you know to a, to a destination? Um, before a flight, I don't have much interaction with the passengers just because all my. Uh, pre-flight checks that me and the captain have to do and getting the plane set up for the flight and usually working in the northeast corridor there's uh, very quick turns and bad weather so uh, we're usually delayed and makes uh, a little bit hectic but in flight uh, when i'm pilot monitoring i try and give the passengers a heads up when we're starting down our descent into wherever destination we're going to and um, for those of you curious we do fly for the big three um, I just make a generic um, statement of thank you for flying with us either morning, <laughs> evening, afternoon just to cover myself so that way I don't uh, mess up saying which uh, airline we're representing that day. Um, but I usually try and give them the weather, uh, what kind of ride to expect, smooth or a little turbulent, um, and how long we should be on the ground and just uh, thank you for fine with us that day and uh, look forward to seeing them again because they do pay for my paycheck so I'm very grateful of that. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple of uh, other questions from the chat room uh, Craig, uh, one from Liz Piper, um, would you like to own a GA aircraft and if so which one? Yes I would, that would be great, uh, funds are going to prohibit that but uh, Caravan, I, I love that airplane, I have 600 plus hours in it and I just it's a well-flying machine, can do what you need to get done and just have a blast uh, flying the caravan. So that's the one I would get if I could. Yeah, excellent. And uh, last one from the chat room. Uh, Captain L asks, rather inevitably, which <laughs> airport has the best catering for a quick turnaround snack? <laughs> Ooh. Let's see. Hmm. I did stop in uh, Minneapolis uh, last week, and they had a pretty decent donut shop right outside the gate oh, we parked <laughs> at, yeah. and I got myself a pretty, uh, I'd say, decent-sized donut. It was called Baker's Gold and had cream inside and glazed, and uh, that that's probably the best snack I've grabbed on a quick turnaround so far. Mm. No, this this stuff's important to Al, obviously. So uh, you know, he, he needs to know. He needs to know. But I think we also probably actually find a chef or something, and, and for for them to make a uh, a signature dish called the Captain Al or something. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll, I'm we sure should, we'll do that uh, one these days. Won't we? Yes, we should uh, make an effort to make that happen. Yes. <laughs> Another question uh, from the chat room, actually, Craig, uh, from Richard King, and he's asking, do the regionals bond you for training? Um, some, maybe mine, I didn't, I'm kind of in a bond with them. I, after my previous job with Mokulele, I was, uh, say 60 hours short of my time requirement to get on with the regionals. And, uh, my company actually puts out what they call the flight time initiative, 
where uh, they'll pay for your last 100 hours of flight time if you need it. Uh, so it's all prorated. Since I only need 60, they're only kind of, they don't really charge me 60, but if I were to, for some reason, leave this job, I would owe them all that money back. Uh, they put me up in a hotel and gave me $25 a day for food stiping and stuck me with a partner who I've become good friends with, uh, Joseph. Uh, not sure he's listening, but Joseph Smith. Uh, David Abbey knows him. He's from the New York area. Um, we flew around together building up the time so we could get to the airline we work for currently uh, a little quicker. And because I took part in that program, I do have to work for Acme Junior for two years. And if I uh, and I had to forego my sign-on bonus as well. But if I were to uh, leave for some reason, it would all have to be paid back prorated. Oh, that's interesting indeed. So, um, moving on to uh, just looking in the chat room to see if there's any more questions from the chat room. So, from me, from uh, you know, from from the point of view of me, uh, one of the questions that I always want to ask the captains and the pilots and the everyone we interview on the show, anyone who flies a plane, uh, Craig, if you're given the chance to fly any aircraft, whether it being flying in the air um, now or retired or you know anything at all, could it could even be one of those weird things called a helicopter. But if you're given the chance to fly anything at all, what would uh, what would that uh, aircraft of choice be for you? Uh, I knew this question was coming since I've listened to the show for quite some time, so I'm prepared with the answer. Um, it would be the Martin B-26 Marauder. I don't think I've seen one of those, uh, it's, Yeah, it's, it's a World War II mid-sized bomber. The U.S. didn't really uh, use it a lot, but I believe that uh, through the Lend-Lease uh, exchange in World War II, we gave some to you fine folks over in uh, Great Britain <laughs> and uh, you, uh, I believe they had a very large part in uh, uh, Monte Cassino battle and uh, bombing that whole thing but uh, it was actually uh, developed and built here uh, about 15 minutes from where I'm currently sitting uh, back at uh, Martin State Airport the uh, Martin uh, Glenn Aircraft Company came up with it there you go I'll have to look that one up for me. I think I'm going to have to look on the wiki for that. Um, so another, another actual, before we before we finish up, wrap up the show, uh, Craig, another another important question, I think, as well. This is um, yes. especially for uh, my wife, Gemma, who's upstairs now as well. Um, <laughs> obviously, she puts up with a hell of a lot of um, aviation geekery from me, especially in the, uh, in the office upstairs with all the stuff, models and stuff. How does Ashley cope with uh, your, your kind of uh, aviation... Um, not, obviously not, not not just the flying, but obviously you, you're interested in aviation. You know, how does she cope with that? Um, as long as I don't bother her too much with it, she's a pretty good sport about it. Um, I try and do a lot of things she likes. She's uh, a lot very into the arts and uh, the media industry, so we try and go see uh, plays or uh, movies, that those sorts of things. But uh, and with the travel benefits now, it's really easy to cope her into going somewhere and <laughs> flying for a little vacation. So uh, she appreciates uh, that side of what I do. Has, uh, has Ashley uh, ever flown as a passen uh, passenger on board the aircraft when you've been uh, flying? Uh, yes, she has. Not for my current job, but uh, back when I was flying for Mokalele, she did uh, hop on board one of the flights on the caravan with me and uh, took her up 
from Pittsburgh to where I was based in the most desolate place called Bradford, Pennsylvania. So, <laughs> uh, so you're lucky there. I think uh, Gem has yes. been up with me once in the uh, 172. That was uh, that was a few years ago. But uh, no, it, our, our uh, respective other halves do put up with a heck of a lot. I think when it comes to um, to the the aviation community and that. So, yeah, hats off to all our um, partners in crime. So uh, yeah. yes. So we are going to start to wrap up the show. Any uh, any last bits from you, Nev? Yeah, I just wondered, uh, just finally, um, what um, what everybody's favourite part of Pittsburgh was. Uh, oh start, yeah, start we with Craig. Do. What was your favourite part? Oh, favourite part was uh, meeting you fine uh, gentlemen, as well <laughs> as the other uh, podcasters and uh, Av Geek listeners. That was by far the best part of the whole weekend. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge military aviation geek, I have to say, but I, d I did enjoy, you know, the, the whole experience being there. But again, it, it's all about the community. It's all about the, the people that we met. And uh, yeah, that, that was a fantastic thing. And what did you think, Carlos? I think I'm the same as uh, Craig, actually, Nev. You know, getting to finally meet a lot of these people that we see in the chat room each week. You know, you see the names and the little icons on the pictures and stuff, but, you you know, t to finally meet... Um, you know some of these uh, some of these may amazing people that come and join us in the chat room every week, and uh, you know it's it it was a very just a fantastic marvelous few days away. I, I you know it was a sad day on Sunday when we all kind of uh, had our last uh, evening meal together, and um, yeah said our goodbyes and stuff. It was uh, yeah it was it was it was hard, but no we had a fantastic time. And uh, just want to thank everyone really who uh, who joined us all, you know, for the uh, for the live shows and obviously at the hotel, we obviously took over most of the uh, Marriott Hotel. Uh, there, most of the uh, the crew, the the podcast teams were all in various parts of the hotel. So, uh, a big thanks to the hotel people for you know allowing us to uh, take over virtually the whole hotel. But no, it was a great time, and uh, I thoroughly hope that some of you guys can come across to the UK again uh, next year for uh, for either real or Farnborough. So uh, hopefully we'll see you, might see you next year, Craig. I hope to see you as well. Yeah, it'll be good, it'll be good. So the chat room's been busy tonight, uh, chatting amongst themselves. The usual uh, suspects in the chat room as always. Dr. Steph has just uh, appeared in the chat room as well. And uh, apparently Dr. Dr. Steph has lost weight, Nev, since the uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh trip. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I, I got on the scales. Uh, I think it was it uh, Tuesday morning when I got back. Uh, a, a shocking state of affairs, and that will, that will take me uh, a, a few months to fix. But I'm going on holiday on June the first. <clears throat> so um, yes, I was to try and lose the weight before before I go on holiday, which I'll put more weight on, obviously. <laughs> and obviously we've had uh, we had Mike has been in the chat room, Liz Piper, Lane Street, Captain Al's obviously been in there. Paul Tricker has uh, has been there. Captain Jeff. Uh, uh, was in the chat room as well. Uh, Pilot Pip, he is appeared in the chat room. I don't know if Pip's still in the chat room or not, but uh, Pip's been in there. Mark Harvey, uh, Jennifer's obviously been in there. Richard King, Barbara has been in there. Don Sebastian was even in the chat room earlier as well. So hello to you, Don, because uh, we had a we had we had quite an exciting part of the show, the live show on the Saturday with uh, an appearance by Don Sebastian, which uh, which is always awesome to see Don. So uh, before we wrap up, then uh, Craig, where can we uh, can we follow your uh, your journey uh, anywhere, or is there any uh, where would uh, we can uh, sort of keep 
keep tabs on you apart from the uh, BFF Twitter <laughs> message account. <laughs> yes, I'm on uh, Twitter, uh, F.O. Craig, or it's at Greenhorn CFI. I'm also uh, on Facebook, Craig Pizik, uh P-Y-Z-I-K. And uh, I think that covers it pretty much. I usually post on those two the most. So, Awesome. Well, we're going to wish you all the best for... Uh, the future, Craig, with your all your flying, and let's hope that uh, you can progress rapidly into that left seat, and then on to uh, to flying some cargo. But uh, don't don't be bit, don't be too busy like uh, a certain uh, Miami rig that we all know, because uh, yeah, he's 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 far too busy. He's far too busy. So uh, try try not to get uh, try not to be uh, that busy, uh, Craig. I'll try not to. I'm actually on a string of 10 days straight off. I think I got two days left of it, so uh, I'm enjoying it, but I'm looking forward to get back in the plane and uh, flying around. So, Nev, I'm going to thank you for joining me this evening and uh, obviously uh, uh, kind of standing in for Matt, who hopefully is uh, on his way to recovery from uh, yeah, his Yes, so we'll get well soon, Matt, and uh, uh, hope, hope you're feeling a bit better. And, yeah. uh, hopefully he'll be back, uh, back next week. Yeah, I know the chat room has uh, wished Matt all the best for his recovery. And, uh, yeah, hopefully I haven't caused too much editing at all for Matt during the show. I, 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 I think he'd be proud of you, actually, Carlos. <laughs> you did a great job there, mate. Very good. Very nice. Oh, yeah. thank you very I, much. I agree. Good oh. job, Matt. Carlos, <laughs> yeah, he's in the he's in the background, Craig. Really pressing all the buttons. Yes, now. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to thank you very much, Craig, for uh, for joining us on the show tonight. It's been fantastic to talk to you, and obviously uh, meet you last week at Pitts. So uh, on behalf of uh, all of us here at PTUK, uh, Craig, thank you ever so much, and like I said, good luck for the future. No problem. Thanks for having me, and uh, I look forward to hearing future uh, shows. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Awesome. So that's where we're going to bring episode 165 of the Plain Talking UK podcast to a close. Hopefully I'll press the right buttons next and you'll hear the, the end credits rolling. So on behalf of me, Carlos, uh, I'm going to say goodnight to everyone. I hope you all have a great, fantastic weekend uh, with whatever you're doing around the world. And uh, don't forget to look on Facebook and uh, check out for when the next show will be next Friday. I would imagine it will be next Friday evening again. Don't forget to look us up on the website, all allthews.plaintalkinguk.com, on Twitter, at Plain Talking UK, uh, and also on uh, Facebook, Plain Talking UK podcast on Facebook as well. Look for us on there. And uh, if you're downloading the show via iTunes, um, don't forget the all-important um, little rating on iTunes, because that does help drastically uh, push us up on the iTunes uh, list of Piviation podcasts. So if you're on iTunes and you download the show via iTunes, uh, please do uh, just click on the ratings tab and give us a little rating. So that's where we are going to bring the show to a close. Like I said, uh, we have, uh, we're going to say uh, a massive thanks to our guest Craig and obviously to Neville as well for helping as well this evening so uh, I'm going to just give you guys a little chance to give everyone a wave before we finish tonight so uh, give us all a wave and a goodbye cheers folks take care have a good weekend have a good one everybody thanks for having me take care and for me Carlos it's a massive goodbye take care and have a great weekend bye bye <laughs>